so when when you come home and your girlfriend doesn't have food in the refrigerator for you, you you don't get mad. I get mad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, he could, uh, you know, from his little deli store, come back with a, you know, a bologna and some cheese and like some two slices of Wonder Bread. And, yeah, I would have thought that somebody who worked at a, a bodega would have been able to come back with like a jar of pickles or something. Um, <laughs> All right, we're back with Jay for part two of this uh, social distancing discussion. And we're going to jump over to a movie review. Uh, I, I feel like I'm cheating on Jeffrey Liu by doing this, but he, he's about to have a baby. so uh, And God knows when he's going to be doing another movie review with me. So, Jay, I'm super excited that I have another guest that wants to do a movie review. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's my first time doing it, so hopefully I don't uh, crap the bed. I remember. I, I think maybe during my after my first or second uh, episode, you had given me the suggestion of um, if you and I had ever done an episode, and I'm glad we're doing this now. Is uh, how, how do we rate movies? <laughs> if it's if it's very good, what do we give it? Two wangs up. There you go. Super mature. <laughs> um, but spoiler alert: uh, this this movie does not get a wang up from me. Tiger Tail released. Early April on Netflix, uh, a film directed by Alan Yang, who, uh, as many of you probably know, is a writer for Parks and Rec and Master of None. Uh, the the movie's essentially an immigrant story, and it and the movie talks about an immigrant coming over, the life that he builds over here, but also the life that he had to give up back in Taiwan. The movie stars some relatively big names uh, from the standpoint of Asian-American actors. Uh, Joan Chen, uh, Sima, um, John Cho was supposed to be in it, uh, though I think all of the scenes got cut out. But there was a lot of hype about this movie, partially because it was a film about Taiwanese people. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely. That was one of the first uh, appeals to me uh, when I saw the preview. I was like, "Is that Taiwanese I hear?" Uh, and that's pretty cool. Uh, and then obviously, is that Chinese uh, being Mandarin ABC... I hear for somebody living in Taiwan? That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, when uh, some of the early scenes when he was a kid yeah, uh, and all his interactions with his uh, mother, um, mm -hmm. his mother talks to him in uh, Taiwanese. Yeah, straight up. Uh, so that's uh, legit. Mm -hmm. No, I'm uh, about when they come to the U.S. and uh, you know the woman she meets in the laundromat is supposed to be Taiwanese. Sima uh, <laughs> himself struggles with Mandarin. I mean, I, he's a Cantonese dude, so um, you know it's forgiven from from that standpoint. But he's not a very convincing um, Taiwanese uh, Mandarin speaker, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, neither was uh, Joan Chen either. Uh, just the accent is uh, there. But, I mean, for most of the uh, mainstream viewers, especially if they're just from the States, uh, they're not going to be able to tell. But it is kind of funny, though, how uh, somehow Taiwanese people uh, evolved to be less Taiwanese <laughs> as they got older. <laughs> you know, it's funny, and maybe we should start there, because from a casting standpoint, from a rating standpoint – and from a release standpoint, it, it's really hard to tell who this movie was made for. And the movie's rated PG, so you can only have 
so many themes discussed that that really that don't cross that line um, into what's considered uh, not appropriate for PG. So you know, a, a sex scene is suggested. A um, a uh, you know divorce is thoroughly talked about. Um, but you can't get into some of the more thematic issues that would be part of the immigrant story, like racism. Huge, huge issue. Uh, mm-hmm. Not touched on at all in this film, and him coming over to the U.S. and you know getting a job like pretty easily, like what he just walked into the store and all of a sudden uh, they're willing to hire him. That, that didn't really make much sense. Um, the movie didn't show his struggles from a day to day that I think would contribute to somebody thinking that they gave up so much to to bring, you know, to help bring this woman over, have a life with her. And, you know, as wrong as it is for him to think that he owns her, um, for him to, to genuinely feel frustrated that she, that his wife wanted to leave and you know, divorce him. Right. Yeah. You're talking about our, our about our ba- boy Grover, uh, nice, uh, name for a Chinese American or Taiwanese American. I don't know. I actually had a look. <laughs> look, his name was Grover, but when I think of Grover, I think about that uh, skinny blue guy on the uh, the Muppet Sesame Street. I can't even think about the second most popular Grover. Probably be the Grover Cleveland, the president, or something like that. <laughs> but but yeah, I I, I kind of tying in what you said about like who was it made for? I guess it could be made for several different audiences. It could be. Uh, I mean, it's made by Alan Yang, um, who's like a couple years older than uh, we are, but he's like an ABC just like us. Um, so I guess he, you can either theme it as, oh, this is the uh, immigration experience uh, to America, or this is the um, Taiwanese uh, immigration experience uh, if you wanted to. And what's really funny is that um, one of the things I thought about was uh, Grover, uh, his main motive for moving to the United States was to find a a better life for um, his mom. Yeah, and then um, that's contrary to probably what a lot of us ABCs hear from our parents is that uh, their primary motivation uh, to move over here was for that we, as their kids, can have a better life than they did. So, <laughs> kind of funny that it's now uh, spun that way and in a lot of times i feel like some of us are kind of unappreciative of um that fact that our parents did kind of make a pretty big sacrifice when it was kind of shown the beginning like you know probably moving to the united states isn't what they thought of but for for people like us like we think living in the united states was like a birthright and it was just god given to us <laughs> you know I, I agree with everything that you're saying, how, you know, there, there is an immigrant. There, it is a story about an immigrant struggle and their, their persistence to help succeed for, um, you know, for a better life for whether it's for his future kids or for his mom. Um, that that is a an admirable story if it was told correctly. And, you know, you and I were in our 30s now, and I think we do appreciate what our parents did. Now, the problem with this movie is that if you're some American trying to appreciate, find some kind of appreciation for the immigrant experience, 
you you watch this movie and you're like, okay, well the guy went from being poor in Taiwan to being poor in the U.S. Um, all of a sudden becoming rich and driving a BMW. Yeah, yeah, there was a definitely a segment that was left out. <laughs> a huge jump. Um, but also, it's you know, oh, he didn't struggle. He didn't he didn't have to deal with all of these again the issues of racism, the issue of adapting to a new culture, um, the issue of finding learning friends, which was somewhat... yeah, learning to speak English. Yeah, he, apparently he doesn't have friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But all of this just kind of happened, and if you don't show that part of the struggle of the immigrant experience then what what exactly was what what part of the immigrant experience was hard for grover um other than leaving his mom back there uh yeah that that's a great point that you made uh but for the as what you call it the mainstream white audience perhaps uh this movie we could should, we be should over generalize and say it's only white people that want to learn about Taiwan. <laughs> okay, fine, the general Netflix audience uh you know, it could be interpreted as maybe a uh, semi uh, love movie or a a movie about uh a regret or about a relationship with your kids. Um there's definitely many angles that you could uh, take if you don't want to take the uh, more personable Taiwanese immigration experience angle because you know you don't relate to it. And you know the the theme of harboring resentment, whether it's for himself or for as you say a missed opportunity. Yes, that is that's the only thing that is really clear in this that, that Grover. God, it's so funny. Like I feel like this podcast just loses points every time I say Grover. Um, <laughs> he he. He harbors resentment towards himself um, and, you know, feels like he missed out on an opportunity to be with, you know, the, the, the woman of his dreams and to also be with his mother. Right. It's kind of a it's almost like a tragedy. It really is a kind of a tragedy at the end where it's like, you know, he thought that he was doing all of the right things in his life. But in the end, he looks back and, you know, his his marriage isn't was in shambles. God knows where his son was. I don't know if he had a relationship with him at all. Uh, he has a daughter that we'll get into that he, you know, semi repairs that relationship. And, and also he realizes that he's, you know, at age 60, he's not going to get back with smoking hot Joan Chen. Uh, <laughs> she's like really good, by the way. So, yeah, I think there is kind of a, a it is a story of regret and resentment. And, you know, ultimately, the the one relationship that I felt was sincere that I wanted to know more about was his relationship with his mom, which ends halfway through the movie with a phone call of, hey, mom, you want to come over? And she says, no, I'm happy here. Uh, I'm going to work. Bye. It's like, OK. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. And I think part of it kind of reflects on how he Grover wasn't able to change his views on how uh, what his main purpose of life was. In the conversation with his mom, he was still talking about, oh, I can move you here, I can find you a better home, I can provide you a better life, instead of really thinking about how she felt and what she wanted. You know, she was still comfortable uh, in Taiwan, she was comfortable with the routine, she was comfortable with being people with people that she knew. Uh, and that's kind of also reflective on uh, Grover uh, or Pinjin's uh, relationship with uh, his daughter, the uh, Christine Co character, in that uh, when she announced uh, her engagement, uh, the first thing he asked was, uh, is he going to be able to provide for you? Uh, and throughout the whole movie, uh, like you remember that one scene where uh, he comes back 
uh, and there's no food in the refrigerator and he's smoking uh, and then his uh, wife comes back uh, and then you know obviously when the first question you ask your significant other is uh where were you <laughs> as uh, that was a pretty common question in uh like breaking bad uh, and that's when you <laughs> 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 whether to be jesse or to skyler and that's when you know those relationships are going to splinter apart but anyways i, dig- I digress uh, that's when you know things were going to fall apart, and then uh, she starts mentioning about uh, her dream about being a teacher, and she doesn't really support her because she's like, oh, you're not going to uh, have time for it. You're going to have a kid. I'm going to support for you. That's that's all he thinks is important, and you know, hopefully by the end of the movie, uh, when he sees his old home, starts hopefully building a relationship back uh, with his daughter, he'll uh, change his viewpoint on that. Well, so when when you come home and your girlfriend doesn't have food in the refrigerator for you, you you don't get mad. I get mad. That's what the apps are for, or that's what uh, delivery service is for. Grover uh, didn't have apps in, in 1980 <laughs> New York City. Okay, come on. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he could, uh, you know, from his little deli store, come back with a, you know, a bologna and some cheese and like some two slices of Wonder Bread. You. Yeah, <laughs> I would have thought that somebody who worked at a, a bodega would have been able to come back with like a jar of pickles or something. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I but but you make a good point. How it's um it, it really everything and how he approached all of his relationships really reflected how narrow his mindset was, and how basically it it kind of pigeonholed him into this one corner of how he approached things, how. He, how he handled relationships, you know, like how he couldn't open up with his daughter. Again, it comes back to regret. I do see this movie a little bit differently now. So I, I appreciate that, uh, that, that perspective. Um, I'm just going to go run through a couple of nitpicks that I have because I'm, I'm mm-hmm. like that. Um, I'm going to start out with uh, the start of this movie, which I almost, I almost shut the movie off in the first five minutes. And I'll tell you why. I hate movies that specifically have a scene, not for the development of the story, but just so you can have shots of the countryside. Gorgeous shots of the Taiwanese countryside, or in Crazy Rich Asians' case, the the night market, doesn't make a movie a good movie. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, that, mm-hmm. like, filmmakers out there that are trying to tell a story about some other country, stop stop throwing in scenes just for the sake of showing this one little special thing that your country has, because all countries have something special. All countries have a countryside. Our country, the, the U S has a gorgeous middle America and cornfields that, you know, just in somebody else's perspective, they'd be like, wow, that that's really pretty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, we laugh, but you know, who knows? Right. I mean, I, that's my personal opinion, but what really pissed me off about that opening scene was this, Poor man's inglorious bastard scene where the kid has to hide in the in the oven, which is still cracked open. And these soldiers come in and interview his grandma about, are you hiding anybody in there? The kid is clearly visible. The soldiers going around like supposedly searching by tapping on things to see if there's a sound of somebody hiding inside of a drawer, even though the drawer was open and he doesn't find him. And that scene was so poorly done that it, it it made me laugh, and it made me think that this guy, Alan Yang, was trying to create tension for a scene without thinking through any of the logistics. 
mm-hmm. of it. And ultimately, it came off as because because that opening scene really contributed nothing to the story other than the fact that he lived in the countryside with his grandma. Fine, but really, all it was was just a big fuck you to the Guomindang, right? Right. And that's what it was, which fine if you want to explore that, great. But for a PG movie that's that already has as many of the shortcomings in terms of character development and story development, why put that in there? Yeah, I think that they were trying to fast track in like uh, under ten minutes the point that oh he lost his parents at an early age. Uh, there was some hardship, so he was split away from his uh, mom. Sorry, he didn't lose his parents; he lost his dad at an early age. Uh, so he was raised by his uh, grandmother or grandparents, which is actually quite common back in Taiwan in the day. Uh, and then the fact that uh, yeah, there was a little bit of political instability. Uh, during the time of the 40s and 50s, whether it be from the Japanese or the KMT. So there was a great big of uh, fear and unknown. Growing up as a Taiwanese, um, whether it be in the countryside uh, or wherever in Taiwan uh, during that time. So that was probably like the quick and dirty. And then obviously uh, being able to tie that in with um, meeting uh, the supposed love of his life uh, at that time. Uh, I think that was just the... The, the the fast food microwave way to do it <laughs> yeah and I, I get it you know demonstrate the unrest that might have been a motivator for him leaving the country but that could have been done with him as an adult you know it, and that scene of him meeting the girl is so funny because it's like he tells the story he's like oh you know me and her you know we had a great childhood and then my mom came back and i thought i'd never see her again but then fate would have it we met up again. And the next scene is them like not even meeting each other again by fate. It's them like dancing and it's like they've already reconnected. So what was the point of saying that they lost connection? It was yeah. So pointless. Yeah. Um, that, that, that That's a fair uh, assessment. And it's really funny because during my time in Taiwan, I, I do notice a lot of the karaoke bars that are sung where people are singing, uh, karaoke in Taiwanese, and there are people dancing, but it's not that type of dancing, let's just say. It's a lot of, uh, let's just say, a lot more older men and a lot younger women, and there's, uh, let's just say, there's a handshake at the end. If, uh, <laughs> I, I <was laughs> you get my say, drift. I was going to say that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for the prostitution reference, Jay. Um, the uh, <laughs> One of my notes is the worst dance sequence ever. <laughs> for that transition i was like she's like uh-huh. oh you're such a good dancer i was like what because he can like kind of move his hips and twirl her <laughs> that, was, that was that's what it took to be a good dancer man fucking time warp me back to the 1980s in taiwan i would have killed it over there um <laughs> la- uh other scene oh uh this is a quick note um so there's only so many yuan lees on facebook huh that uh he was able to find the the lost love of his life and like yeah, that's uh, definitely uh, some some creeper jeeper status, <laughs> and it's really funny. Uh, uh, it, it, like if people were going to go stalking nowadays, I don't think Facebook uh, would be the first place to go to stalk. I think um, if you're trying to actually find the person, like I think LinkedIn leaves a lot more social um, fingerprints all over the place. Uh, that's the place to look, and it's odd that they would the first message would be in. English, you know, someone yeah. that you haven't connected with <laughs> after all those years. Uh, but I guess, you know, to appeal to the audience, uh, it would be uh, Facebook as the stalker mechanism. 
Thank, thank you, Jay, for your for your feedback on how to hunt down uh, the the girlfriends that we used to creep on back in college. Uh, my my last nitpick is um, that fucking house party at the end where the daughters throwing the Chinese New Year party. Like uh-huh. just everything seems so hilarious. Where she like clinks her glass and she gives a speech and everyone like politely claps for her at uh-huh. the end. Of it. And I was like, dude, you like no wonder why your boyfriend left you, dude. You're you're a robot. Your corporate robot that that irresponsibly got this giant ass apartment in New York City. Like, I wouldn't want to be with you either. It, it definitely felt like there was a little bit too much of a political uh, lack of uh, you know character, uh, so to speak. But you know, I guess that's kind of the daughter uh, that someone like uh, Grover Pingji would have raised. Um, if you were kind of embody uh, some of his shortcomings. Um, I guess that would be it right there. <laughs> well, there you go. You 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 you've uh, unpicked all my nits. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything else in this movie that you want to talk about? Personal reflections? Uh, no. Just uh, I I thought it was kind of interesting that it took place in uh, New York, um, especially given uh, the two of us grew up in SoCal and NorCal. I always kind of did wonder what the New York experience. Um, was like. Uh, maybe you can uh, parlay on that since uh, you spent a little bit of time in uh, New York. And what, what do you think the Taiwanese experience, immigration experience in New York was like compared to in California? So there's no Taiwanese people in New York. That's, that's oh really? I thing. thought there was three. Chi- I thought there was three Chinatowns though, like Manhattan, <laughs> Flushing. Like I forgot what the third one was. Yeah, but. there's a Brooklyn one too. Um, <laughs> there are Taiwanese people, obviously. They're everywhere, but it's not. It, it's not the the equivalent of you know uh, Cantonese people in San Francisco or you know Taiwanese people in Walnut um, uh-huh. or San Jose. So the the immigrant story is again you know it, it's kind of a, a generalized immigrant story because they they don't get into any of the specifics um and but by the way uh taiwanese for for those of you who aren't taiwanese um taiwanese mom humor isn't just calling husbands ugly or making fun of korean kimchi okay like <laughs> there's a there's a much wider range of uh humor that that taiwanese moms have and um but yeah i mean overall i think it's our parents' immigrant experiences weren't like that i don't think taiwanese people we know many taiwanese people who moved over and became more blue collar workers i think that's more of a china hong kong korea thing um mm-hmm. I mean, but, you know, prove me wrong. I, the kids that you grew up around, were, did, did their parents have a similar story that was shown here? Uh, well, personally speaking, my, my dad, actually, his first job here was as a waiter. So he probably, very similar, knocked on somebody's door and asked, hey, can I have a job here? Um, oh, he he actually did have a... <laughs> He actually did have a big jar of coins that he just kept in his tip jar. Um, that like you know, I I remember seeing as a kid. And I was like, what that was? He's like, yeah, that's my tip jar, my first job mm-hmm. uh, in the U.S. So that's I, really I, cool, I did have a little bit <laughs> relationship with that. But I, I think for a lot of other people, it's um, they heard about this great opportunity in America, and the easiest way, and the most comforting way, and the most nurturing way to get your foot in the door is through school. So uh, mm-hmm. studying. Uh, a master's degree here you know you can excel in your field you can live in a bubble while you learn english but yeah a lot of my friends that i met uh in taiwan 
uh, or a lot of my friends um, here in America, they said their parents, yeah, studied masters in I don't know Minnesota, like Clem Clemson, South Carolina, Tennessee, like Missouri, like states you know you don't really think about because uh, at that time, uh, if you wanted you know holding a masters was considered or a PhD was considered something of a high esteem, you know, you know, it's not like nowadays where everyone just wants to be a, a software engineer, tech bro, web developer. And that seems to be <laughs> what's hot now. Back then it was a lot slower, lot longer grind to become a, a doctor, lawyer, scientist, whatever. Yeah. And, and I think my mom spent some time in Oklahoma. Uh, so <laughs> it's, yeah, to, to that point, you know, a lot of them just came over here just to get that education. But, you know, the, the story is much different when you come over here with that plan of education, right? Not, not some aimless, like I'll just get a job and live in America. Like, it it's that that does happen no doubt it just doesn't seem to be so much of the the Taiwanese immigrant story and well i mean people... of course uh, our 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 recollections of the past always become hazy so uh when you hear your parents talk about the immigration experience or hear uncles of course it's always going to be like uh yeah we came here all we had was our clothes on our back and then like <laughs> 20 bucks in cash and we started with the grind you know like it's always that story it's it's never uh, you know, we flew here first class, and we had an apartment <laughs> set up for us. <laughs> good, good, good education and everything. It's never that, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is always told a little bit differently. Final question for you: uh, What do you do? You think this this series, this movie, would have worked better as a series, and do you think that it will become one? Because my theory is that, like Alan Yang, has to know better than to think that he can pass off a China person or a Cantonese person as a Taiwanese <laughs> person I agree. I agree. Um, or to bring John Cho in to play I, what I assume would have been a Taiwanese person. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, but I, I think that this was a concept. It was a concept film that he can get the buzz for the story and use whatever big name um, you know, Asian-American actors there are. Uh, thank God no Aquafina. Um, uh, thank God, no. Uh, what's her face? Um, the one in uh, Crazy Rich Asians, Constance Wu. Yeah, there's just too and way too many movies. Oh <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me started about her either. Um, but you know, making this a concept that people can would buy into figuratively, and then turning it into a series where you actually have full Taiwanese and Taiwanese American cast members. I I think that if that was his long game then good on him good on him i i think that that's how you would sell it but if this was a standalone project and his nod towards the, the taiwanese american or taiwanese uh taiwanese immigrant story then he failed one wing down from this end yeah <laughs> uh Blue yeah that's I, I that's a that's a f fair assessment um i i think trying to come out with like a, a you know, a, a, a ten-part series uh, would be a little too arduous, especially if you don't know what kind of following you're going to get with, which would be considered a a, a niche movie. Yeah. Uh, but you know, a, as a trying to get out of um, Aziz Azari's shadows and kinda, was this his first directed uh, screenplay where he um, held all the keys? Like, uh, you know, I, I thought it was a valiant effort, and I, I definitely related to to it as well um it made me think 
you know, I, I, I thought, I thought he did a great job. I, I thought from a story perspective, obviously we can nitpick here and there, and I agree with a lot of what you said. Uh, but from an emotional perspective, yeah, it, it did connect with me. So uh, I'd have to give it a, a, a weighing up. But definitely, there are definitely some improvements and deltas that I would have suggested. Yeah, yeah. An hour and thirty minutes is, is you know, they, they could have had more. And I, and I wonder, you know, I, I have a lot of questions, but you know, it, it kudos to him. It, it's a better movie than Crazy Rich Asians. Um, not not a better movie than Searching. Uh, and, no, and there's I... there's a uh, there's another movie that came out actually with um, on Netflix called Half of It, and I, and I mm-hmm. think it talks about um, some you know Asian American lesbian who uh, is in what what I thought from the trailers was a, a town in Washington actually, but uh, fun fact about that movie Colin Chow I don't know if you know who he is but he's an mm-hmm. action star I think he plays her dad. So uh-huh. I think that alone raises enough eyebrows that uh, I, I'd watch that movie. And, and to be honest, the trailer looked pretty good. It seemed like mm-hmm. a not-so-typical uh, rom-com. So may, maybe that'll be the next uh, Duel Wang movie review. Should, maybe we should come up with a better name for that. Duel Wang? Dueling Wang? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, hopefully we can. Man, We can't be falling back on stuff from 15 years ago. <laughs> Um, Jay, it's been super fucking awesome catching up with you. Uh, thanks for taking time to do this, and I look forward to hearing uh, or having you on this podcast a lot more and talk about other things. Yeah, for sure. Stay safe. Uh, take care. You too.